all right, I gotta get all of my material here. We're looking over in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 tonight. The fruit of the Spirit. On Wednesday nights, we've come to the last uh, triplet that is mentioned in Galatians 5. We start out with the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. As I open up and just um, think about what is wrong in our world, in our society, we are seeing the results of a people in our nation who are not being governed by truth and not being governed by the Spirit. I read an article not too long ago by Diana Rufino on self-governing individuals are necessary for a self-governing society. Listen to what she says. Self-governing individuals are necessary to have a self-governing society. That is, only a moral and disciplined people are capable of being governed by a limited government. Those who are not need greater government. The pilgrims taught us this when they established the successful colony of Plymouth. The term self-governing refers to the ability of individuals to exercise control over oneself. It is the internal obligation one feels to do the right thing. It is the willingness of individuals to consciously choose and hold on to productive principles that apply in diverse situations. Self-government means self-discipline, self-improvement. Thomas Paine said self-governing individuals are necessary to have a self-governing society. Representative democracy ultimately depends on the moral character of the people and of the representatives that are elected. James Madison, the chief architect of the Constitution, wrote this. To suppose that any form of government will secure liberty or happiness without any virtue in the people is chimerical is a chimerical idea. Self-governing individuals are necessary in order that the United States can hope to maintain a government of constitutional limits and of a size and scope that can be accountable to the people. Later says here, a good government depends on the character and virtue of the people it represents. Now, just making that statement and reading that little paragraph, I think of just showing you that it is important that... Um, for, for government to work as it's intended to work, you've got to have a people who are moral, who know what is right and know what is wrong, and governed by an absolute moral truth. And I believe, contrary to what um, historians are trying to revise in, um, in U.S. history especially, I believe our founding fathers were men of morality, and they believed in biblical principles, and God's word. That doesn't mean all of them were born again believers. Doesn't mean all of them were specifically um, you know, Christians as we would see. Some of them were deists. However, they understood that um, the success of the American idea was built upon a people 
who were moral and had this awareness of morality and self-control because they lived by standard, an inner self-governing. And that's kind of what was coming out of that idea as we see. Now, I, I, that's exactly the statement that I believe in our culture today we are seeing in our world today, all morality be thrown out the window. And so every man does right in his own eyes. And all of a sudden you have chaos. And uh, we see our country is, is really, they don't know what to believe and what is right and what is wrong. And um, that's, that's a fruit of modernism and postmodernism in our government. To be spirit-controlled. That's what believers are. Believers are controlled by truth, what we believe in. And then because of what we believe in, as we have the Spirit of God that lives within us and convicts us of sin and convicts us of what is right and what is wrong and that we are to do right and stay away from wrong. And that's why it's important for believers not to quench the Spirit. That's why it's important for believers to be filled or controlled by the Spirit and not drunk with wine. And that's why it's important for us to be governed by the words of the Spirit that have been inspired and given to us through His Word. Now, just in a review of, of, of these uh, characteristics, I'll show us kind of how we get to where we're going. We've talked about these, these uh, fruit of the Spirit. We first started with love. Gave a definition that love is the self-surrendering to God fully and completely by serving others sacrificially and redemptively. That's the first fruit that is mentioned as overall. And remember we said love is this manifestation of all of these fruit. So it's, it's, it's the header of all of these fruit as it comes out. So when we come to the next fruit, we see joy is love celebrating deeply. It's not a product you go and buy because your circumstance. It's, it's an outflowing. It's a result of living the life of being fulfilled in the scripture and in what we know. And then that joy coming out no matter what the circumstances are. Celebrating deeply. We talked about peace. Peace is love resting quietly. Resting in the plan and the purpose of God. We talked about long-suffering is love enduring patiently, um, dealing with irritating people, being able to put up with, with, uh, with people who, who rub you the wrong way. That's long-suffering, not a short temper, but a long-suffering that is love enduring patiently through difficulties. Gentleness is love performing benevolently and concretely. Uh, these, these acts of, of love and, and generosity and showing signs of servanthood and, and being gentle with those. Um, we saw uh, the last time goodness. Goodness is love behaving morally. This is the, the part of being good, moral, doing what is right, and generously. Okay, this is, this is doing good deeds and acting in a, in a good way, behaving yourself morally and generously to those around you. Now, as we see the next triad here, love is delightful. I just want to see here, you see these in, in a group. Um, 
This is, uh, these are some outlines that I've, I've taken from my doctoral studies in some of my classes. So this is not original with me. Love is delightful. Love, joy, and peace. This is delighting in the Savior. Delighting in God. This is what you have, what you find in your room with your devotions and your prayer time with the Lord. Love is delightful. These three characteristics. Love is demonstrative. Remember, we talked about these qualities, long-suffering, kindness, or gentleness, and goodness. They have to be demonstrated. You can't, you can't have these fruit in your bedroom by yourself. You can love, joy, and peace, but you can't long-suffering, gentleness, or kindness, and goodness. You've got to get out of your room and go downstairs to the living room where your family is. And you've got to get in with irritating people. You've got to get in with other people who have the flesh to be able to demonstrate these characteristics, these virtues. And so these would be considered the demonstrative type of, 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 of fruit. And then the last three, this is love is disciplined. Faith, meekness, and temperance. So as we look at the last three, we see today faith is love, trusting fully, and serving reliably. Love, trusting fully, and serving reliably. Uh, Later on, we'll talk about meekness is love, domesticating appetites powerfully. And then temperance is love, restraining sensual drives strongly. I want you to understand The whole concept of these three here has to deal with an inner control, an inner governance that has come from the inside, from a walk with the Spirit, that now is going to to give, that Spirit is going to govern these characteristics in the life of the believer so that he can be faithful, so that he can be... uh, Power under control, that's meekness, all right? Uh, Domesticating, tempering those appetites, having control. And then temperance is is self-control in a way of restraining the drives of your heart as well. All three of these, in some fashion, have this characteristic of, um, of, of, of character from the inside out. These three fruit our inner control, talking about inner control. So let's look this evening, uh, since we had just a little bit of review, let's look this evening at faith. The word faith here that is used in this verse is the word pistis. It's the most common word used in the New Testament for faith, and it's used 243 times in the New Testament. Strong says that it means to be persuaded, to come to trust, In the New Testament, it is divine persuasion. In other words, I am convinced that this is true. So I trust in it. I have faith in it. Um, Luanida states that faith is that which is completely believable, what can be fully believed, that which is worthy to believe or worthy of belief. Um, Turn over in your Bibles to Acts 17. Let's look at an example of this word faith that is used in Acts 17 in verse 31. Acts 
All right, so verse 31, he, he's talking about um, uh, seeking the Lord in verse 27. He's talking about the nations are all of one blood in verse 26. Um, he's talking about in him we, we live and we move and we have our being in verse 28. And as much as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver. This is, this is who God is. And that times of this ignorance God winked at, for now commandeth all men everywhere that we should repent. Verse 31, because for this reason he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Who is that? That's Christ. He's the one that's going to come in that day and bring judgment. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. You see the word pistis in there? It's not translated the word faith. It's translated here as the word assurance. Okay? This word assurance is showing us the, that, that in this, um, one version states this, having furnished proof to all men. In other words, Jesus is coming back. He's going to judge this world. One day it's going to happen. And to prove that God means business and we can trust the promises of God, God raised his son from the dead and proved that we can believe in his word. So the resurrected son, the resurrected savior, is the proof by which we can trust God's word. So the evidence of the risen son is proof we can trust his word. Now, we don't always think of faith in that way, do we? We think of faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That is true. However, in this verse, our faith always is rooted in a solid object that can be believed. It's trustworthy. So we're not trusting something out there that I, well, I hope that it'll happen, and is it going to happen? No. To prove that what we believe in is true, and we can believe every word of it, God resurrected his son from the dead, was seen, 1 Corinthians tells us in the book of Acts, tells us as well, was seen of all kinds of witnesses to his disciples, to 500 people at one time, to show us that we can believe the promises of God. And just as Jesus rose again on the third day, he is coming to judge this world. Therefore, we can believe the promises of God. So our faith is not rooted in something that's just empirical, that just we don't know. It is rooted in God's um, a, a proven, tested um, truth in the past. What about the, the people of Israel? Even, even showing them as they believed the promises of God. He always looked back to the crossing of the Red Sea, the ten plagues, and through the Exodus to show you can trust God's promises today because it has been proven, tested, true in the past. And that's what believers have to, to hold on to as well. God has proven through his word, so I can trust it. I can trust his word. That is, that is giving our faith some concrete um, things that we can believe in and that we know it is true. So when we think of this word faith, we think of something that is tried 
and true and can be believed in. Now, when we work on the word faith as well, it can also mean trustworthiness. You can see a similarity. It's the quality of being trusted or fidelity, right? So you, you, can, you can go from something that we believe in, we put our faith in, the trusted promises of the word of God. It is able to save us, it is able to keep us, and it also is our hope for the future. However, this is also a characteristic that is to be seen as something that is trustworthy. Vine states this word faith can be rendered faithfulness to be reliable. Barclay states this fruit that is called this fruit of faith or faithfulness is a virtue of reliability. Thayer says it is the character of one who can be relied upon. So this is these these two ideas of, of believing in something and then a trustworthiness, a faithfulness in something because it's proven to be, to be trusted and, and can, be, can be leaned upon. These two ideas of this word faith and faithfulness are tied together. That's why in some versions, when you come to this fruit, you will see the word not just faith, but the word faithfulness. And that is also uh, true in the characteristic in the Old Testament. Turn over to Proverbs 20 and verse 6. Proverbs 20 and verse 6. I think I may even actually have printed it out up here. But it's good to see it in your own Bible. Proverbs 20 and verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. All right, so this, this verse is basically saying there are a lot of people that are out there ready to proclaim you know, their own you know, fidelity. You can trust in them. But a wise man recognizes that true faithfulness is hard to find. It's hard to come by because we're all going to fail. But finding something that is reliable and trustworthy, even in Solomon's day, was hard to find. Psalm 12, verse 1 and 2 he says here, help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. For the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor. With flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. So go back a generation. We just read Solomon. Now we're reading David. And David is saying in his day, Lord, where are the godly men? Where are the faithful ones? Those who have fallen of the children of men. There's a lot of people who puff themselves up and, and flatter everyone. And they love to be flattered with their own lips. They have a double heart and yet they're not reliable. You can't trust in them. So here we understand that even in the Old Testament, finding a faithful man was hard. Finding someone that was true had fidelity and faithfulness. To produce this fruit, even in the Old Testament, was difficult. Let's just think about the Lord. God is faithful um, as far as God himself. God is modeled as our faithfulness. Over 60 references in the Bible to God's faithfulness. Um, Psalm 92. Turn over to Psalm 92 if you're still in Proverbs. I don't think I have this one written up. Psalm 92 in verse 2. Verse 1 says, It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, 
O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. So here the psalmist recognizes that the faithfulness of God, just like the sun rises in the morning and the moon that comes up at night, just as we can rely upon the fact that the sun is going to rise, the moon is going to set, the sun is going to set, the moon is going to come, it's going to set, so much so that we set our clocks, we set our calendars, we set our watches on the movement of the, of, of, of the earth with the, the sun and the moon and how, and, and how we see it rising and falling on our horizon. We can trust in God just like we can trust in the rising and the setting of the sun every morning and every night. We all are familiar with Jeremiah's lamentation that his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God is faithful and he is the model of faithfulness to us. And so even every morning that we get up, we can see the mercies of God are new and God is faithful again today and he will be faithful to us always. Interesting, some characteristics of God's faithfulness. God is faithful in salvation. Uh, turn over to 1 Corinthians 1. I don't have these written out, so we'll just have to turn to them. 1 Corinthians 1. And verse 8 and 9. Who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful in salvation. God is faithful in temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You know that verse? Hopefully you have that memorized. 1 Corinthians um, 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. So there's God's faithfulness there. God's faithful in his affirmation. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, 8, 19. 2 Corinthians 1 and 18. But as God is true, our word towards you was not yea, and nay, the word true here is the idea of trustworthiness. It was, it was, you can trust in this, God's word. In other words, God doesn't say one thing, yay, and then turn around the next day and say nay. All right? God is not double-tongued. People are double-tongued. James talks about the double-tongue, where out of the same mouth comes blessings and what? Curses. And, and Paul is saying here in this passage, when God says yes, he means yes. When God says no, he means no. And you can trust in him. You can trust the, uh, the, the, the word of God that it is going to be sure. And when he says something, it will happen. You don't have to worry about if God is going to, um, is God is going to change his mind in any way. Um, and Paul is saying... You, you can trust. We can trust God's word because he is faithful. Our words should also be the same in quality. Faithful in what we say. God is faithful in sanctification. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. 1 
1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that called you who will also do it. And this is talking about sanctification. God is going to sanctify you wholly, and he is faithful. You can trust it. He's faithful in your salvation. He'll be faithful in your sanctification. And then 2 Thessalonians, God is faithful in persecution. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 3. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord um, may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from this unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith, but the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil, even during your times of persecution and hardship and difficulties and trials, God is faithful. And so when we learn this characteristic and this quality of God, we realize the faithfulness of God. Um, just thinking about a, a form of illustration here. Uh, how many of you have been to Yellowstone Park? Been to Yellowstone Park? Right? Several, not, not that many, not as many as I thought would be. Um, if you've been to Yellowstone Park in um, Wyoming, um, well, it spans Wyoming, Montana, and uh, all around, you know that the most popular attraction at the Yellowstone National Park is the geyser named Old Faithful. For years, approximately every 90 minutes, it shoots up 8,400 gallons of boiling water from the heart of the earth, straight up 185 feet into the air. The blasts last anywhere from 1.5 to 5 minutes. It has repeated that process hour after hour, day after day, month after month, year after year. And you know why people come to see the geyser, Old Faithful? is because it's always faithful. <laughs> it's, it's always, uh, you can count on it. And uh, people, so the most photographed, people come up there. They got a timer that times it. And um, it's always on time, and it can be trusted in. It's very important and profound that God's faithfulness to us follows us to, his, uh, us to be faithful to him. And uh, we have to recognize that as God is faithful to us, he desires faithfulness in us. Psalm 51.6, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inner parts. David says God desires to find trustworthiness. That word truth is something that is tested and tried and true. It's faithful. God desires faithfulness in us. And so he wants us to be stable. He wants us to be, to be true and faithful. Um, not only does God desire, but God admires faithfulness. Matthew 25 and 21 Remember the parable of the servant that God says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. When we get to heaven, God admires faithfulness and therefore he rewards faithfulness. That's what he admires. That's what he desires. That's what he admires. But it is also, as a reward of faithfulness, it is also what he requires in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2. Moreover, it is required that a man be found faithful. 
It's a requirement of God for all of those who are his children to be faithful to him and not forsake him. Be faithful. So, how should we be faithful? How can we be faithful? Uh, If I could just mention this, John Stott says, Faithfulness here in this passage as far as a fruit appears to describe the reliability of a Christian man. One person said this, this word faith or faithfulness is indeed a great word. It describes a man whose faithful service may be relied upon, on whose loyalty we may depend, whose word we can unreservedly accept. It describes the man in whom there is an unserving uh, and inf- uh, inf- uh, inflexible fidelity of Jesus Christ, uh, the utter dependability of God in the life of a man who will be faithful. You remember, it's part of our DNA. These characteristics are part of who we are. If God is faithful and he's put his spirit within us and we have his son, now we are children of God. We are to reflect his love. We are to reflect his joy, his peace, his long-suffering, his goodness and, and, uh, uh, and gentleness. And, uh, and we are also to reflect his faithfulness. So how can we be faithful? Let me just give you some practical things. Number one, we ought to be faithful in the small things. Luke 16 and verse 10. Turn over there in that gospel. It is important for us to learn to be faithful in the small things. Because if we won't be faithful in the small things, we're not going to be faithful in the big things. Luke 16, 10 says this. He that is faithful in that which is least in faithful, or is in that which is least is faithful, also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. So the, the, the phrase is, be faithful in the little things. David was able to be faithful and stand against Goliath and answer the call of God and be obedient in that circumstance of the big thing because he was obedient to God in the little things, keeping the sheep and taking the cheese and the bread to his brothers when he needed to be. Be faithful. Young people, don't diminish the the opportunities to obey in the small things in your life. Be faithful to the little things, your schoolwork, getting up in the morning, Faithful to your devotions. The things that oftentimes seem menial. Do a good job. Be obedient. You are learning faithfulness in the little things so that you will be faithful in the big things. If you don't learn it in the small tasks, you're not going to do it in the big tasks. And I would just tell you as well, in our life as well, be faithful in the little things. Have good habits of faithfulness to, to things in, in your life. Um, the, the, those little things matter to God, and he understands that. Be faithful in the little things. Someone said here, faithful in your time. Um, every minute of every day, um, our time. Ephesians 5 and verse 16 says, redeem the time for the days are evil. Seconds make up minutes. Minutes make up hours. Hours make up days. Days make up weeks. Weeks make up years. Are you faithful in the small things. Faithful in the small things maybe even mean not just your time, but also your treasure. Little finances, small and limited areas in your life. You say, well, I can't afford to give. Be faithful in your giving, faithful in your tithe. Often we think if I had more, I would give more. 
I gave you some t- statistics at the beginning of this year, realizing that um, uh, oftentimes that is, not, that is not the case proven. Those who are poorer give more percentage-wise than those who are more rich. Um, so uh, just, just be faithful in the little things. Be faithful in the secret things. Luke 8 and verse 17. Turn back to that. Luke 8, 17. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Jesus is saying, God sees all. Okay, the secret things, be faithful to the secret things. Um, Someone once said that character is who you are in the dark when you're all alone. Who you are in the dark is the test of who you truly are. Someone said this, if you knew me the way I know me, would you still respect me? It may be better said, if you knew me the way God knows me, would you still respect me? A faithful individual is the same in public as he is in private, at home as he is in church. Their character and their conduct are well-pleasing to God. I like the story that I've read a few times. I don't know if I've ever used it here, but you've probably heard it, about Michelangelo who took four years to paint the ceiling in the Sistine Chapel. All those hours and days and weeks and months that he would lie on his back, high on the scaffolding, carefully painting every detail. One day he was meticulously painting a niche where the human eye could not see, high up into the corner of the ceiling. And someone said, Michelangelo, why are you spending so much time on that little spot? No one will ever see it. And he responded, I see it and God sees it. Be faithful in the little things. Be faithful in the secret things. Be faithful in the sacred things. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Remember in a life that we have, the Lord has always required that us, no matter what our hand finds to do, we do it with all of our might. And there are, there are things that are sacred in your life. Your family is sacred. Uh, that's, that's very important. Your marriage is sacred. Be faithful in your marriage. Be faithful in your, with your children as a parent in discipline. Be faithful with the secret things in, in your life. Um, and the sacred things and the small things. Can I mention this as well? Be faithful in your talents. This is Matthew twenty five twenty one. This is where we stand before the Lord and we hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Remember, the slothful servant is not going to be rewarded, but is actually going to be cast aside. God has given you talents and gifts and abilities. Be faithful, even when things get hard and difficult. Be faithful in your talents, the gifts that God has given you. Be faithful in your duty. Your duty, first of all, to him. This is Matthew 6 and verse 4. This is where he talks about going into your closet place and praying to your Father in heaven. Keep that 
a, a private time, but be faithful to that. That's your duty to him. That could also include your duty to him being faithful to his church. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. Not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together. That's your duty to him. In your prayer life, in, in your worship life, be faithful. Some people are more faithful to their football teams and their favorite television show than they are actually to the church. Be faithful to God's word. I read an article this week. I can't remember where it was found, but an article this week that said, um, said the greatest thing that you could give your children was take them to church and be faithful. Said if even if you couldn't be a good dad and do devotions every night, even if you couldn't pray with your family every night and all the things, if you had to pick one thing that you were consistent with throughout your life, take, keep them, keeping them in a Bible-believing, solid church in your life, those other things would begin to fall into place as well, being faithful. And then can I mention here, be faithful in your duty to others. This is Proverbs 18 and 24. And you know that passage that talks about the faithfulness of a friend that there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Talking about the faithfulness. This is our duty to those around us. And our responsibility as a, as a faithful friend. I was thinking about this in this uh, Sempra Fry uh, Fidelis. Which is always faithful. This is the motto for uh, the Marines. And uh, they continue. The Marines are celebrating what? 250. 40, 50 something this year, I think, um, uh, their, their birthday in November. But it's just thinking about the core of loyalty and faithfulness to one another's comrades, to your country. And, um, and when God comes down to, our serv- to his servants, it's interesting that in Revelation 2 and verse 13, there is a requirement to that church that like Antipas, they would be found faithful witnesses. To the Lord. Father, I pray as we close this evening the importance of our faithfulness to you.